In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Will a teacher pay raise pay off for Stacey Abrams? I intend not only to be the next governor of Georgia, I intend to be the public education governor of the great state of Georgia. Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the podcast we want you to depend on for the most on-the-ground coverage of the 2022 election. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, with your other host, Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the AJC. Reminder, if you're just listening to us for the first time, please follow us on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And boy, do we have a deal for you, Patricia, a special offer for a limited time only, six months of unlimited digital access to the AJC for just 99 cents. We'll talk more about that later. Patricia, it's been a week. How are you holding up? It's only a couple days in the week, but it's already been a long one. It's only a couple days. I would rather be more busy than less busy. So it's a great week for me. How about you, Greg? How are you? Um, well, um, I spent uh, most of the day in the emergency room after oh I developed a what we now know is a is a, a clog in my saliva glands in my cheek, and oh I'm going to show you this picture. I'm going to do the arch rule, the arch sin, the cardinal sin of, of of podcasting, and show a picture that none of our listeners can see for 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 good reason. Um, that was me in the ER this morning. You can see my left cheek was like ballooned out. It sucked. Couldn't oh, sleep, no. and I couldn't eat, and I couldn't talk. Oh, and, uh, um, oh. and after about uh, eight hours, it's down substantially. I've got some drugs in me. <laughs> I've got, and I'm uh, I'm rip roaring, ready to go. So it's only funny because I know you're going to be okay. Yes, I am going to be okay. Um, and I'm in good hands over at uh, one of the many Emory University facilities around around Atlanta. Coming up later, we'll discuss why a Republican congressional candidate won't support Brian Kemp for governor. But first, teacher pay. Democratic gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams announces her plan to support teachers in the state of Georgia by boosting their salary at least $11,000. It will be my privilege as the next governor of Georgia to increase pay for our teachers. Abrams says she understands the debate over his teacher pay raise, and she understands the math. And the math says that if we increase pay by $412 million per year, we can not only increase base pay to $50,000, we can get the average pay for Georgia teachers up to $73,500. Trisha, let's go in the Wayback Machine to 2018 when Governor Kemp, a couple weeks before the election, it was in September of 2018, when he rolled out his plan to give teachers a $5,000 pay raise, at the time, Stacey Abrams said it was a gimmick that, that Brian Kemp couldn't live up to, that he wouldn't be able to fulfill. 
Of course, we know he did fulfill it, but it's not easy to get these types of pay raises passed. And in Kim's case, it cost about a billion dollars or so in revenue. And at first, his estimate was $600 million. So it cost far more than his initial estimate. And it took four years. The first installation was passed in 2019. The second wasn't passed until this year. So Stacey Abrams, she's more than doubling that. This seems like an attempt to really shift the narrative, to change the narrative away from some of the issues that Democrats have been facing, not just in Georgia, but around the country about inflation, rising fuel prices, all the issues, all the headwinds they're facing ahead of November. I think it's a way for Stacey Abrams to answer people's inflationary concerns also, especially teachers' inflationary concerns, because even though teachers have gotten this $5,000 pay raise from Governor Kemp, I mean, anybody who's gotten a pay raise this year knows that it has not kept up with inflation. So in real terms, even if you've got a good job, even if you've gotten a pay raise, you're still losing buying power. And teachers feel that. Teachers' families feel that. And there is a lot of concern around the state about what that does to the teaching profession at a time when teachers are just under such constant assault with COVID. There are all kinds of things coming at teachers politically. And so this is something that Abrams did criticize Kemp for an election year gimmick. Here we are in an election year with a proposal to double the pay raise that Kemp has gotten through. But you're exactly right, Greg. It didn't just take him four years to get that through. It took an immense amount of horse trading by Governor Kemp. And it also took that with members of his own party, his own Republicans, Republican leadership in the House and Senate. He had to do some serious arm twisting and some serious horse trading, giving away a little bit on a tax cut, taking a little bit on the teacher pay raise. And this was all at a time when the state's economy was still relatively strong. So Republicans are pushing back really hard and saying, look, the numbers don't add up. $11,000 is almost impossible in real life political terms. But the Abrams campaign is pushing forward on this. Nonetheless, it has obviously sparked a ton of debate in the process. Yeah, back in 2019, during Kemp's first legislative session as governor, there was a big battle over whether or not lawmakers would support the teacher pay raise or whether they want to cut the income tax for many more Georgians beyond teachers. And there was a big clash And it turns out that with a record budget this past year, thanks in part to federal infusion and cash that that helped loosen uh, the the tight budget restrictions, the state was able to afford both. But we're also headed towards darker economic times. We're in a bear market right now. There could be a recession in in the horizon. There could be uh, more limited budgets in the next couple of years. Stacey Abrams says she can do this all without raising taxes. We can increase our teacher pay from $39,092 to $50,000 year over year without increasing a single dollar in taxes. Now, Patricia, her plan says that this will cost about $1.65 billion. The governor's office says, no, that's an undershoot. Uh, It's going to end up costing more like $2 billion uh, is their estimate. Either way, it's a lot of money. She thinks that there's enough room in the budget surplus as it is. There's enough extra space in the budget that's not already committed um, to afford both these teacher pay raises and expanding Medicaid, which will cost at least about $220 million. But as we know, even, you know, even just accounting for the regular growth of the Medicaid program, of accounting for the regular growth of enrollment of students and, and, and all the other costs of a growing state population, because Georgia's fortunate enough to be growing, that eats up a lot of the extra revenue that was just kind of sitting around, even in a good economy. And, and her plan calls 
for about 3.5% revenue growth, about a billion plus dollars additional revenue. And that is no given either. Yeah. Also remember that Republicans just got through their big $1 billion across the board tax cut. So you have taken that billion dollars mm-hmm. straight out of the budget. And Georgia is one of the states that has a constitutionally mandated balanced budget amendment. And so that is required by law. There is no borrowing to pay for this. There is no dipping into um, or going into deficit spending to pay for something like this. So it's just frankly hard to imagine how how all of this math would work if you got Medicaid expansion done and a huge teacher pay raise done across the board. But it is a best case scenario for Democrats. I mean, there's no law against setting up a best case scenario. And I think that really is what um, Abrams is talking about. It also is very aggressive. It's also very aspirational. And it really points voters with a big red arrow the direction that her priorities are headed. And so between the two of those, healthcare and education, those are the two huge items for Democratic voters, not just Democratic voters. Those are all those things are important to parents. They're important to people in the state of uh, all political persuasion. So it's uh, it's easy to see the attractive politics of it. The math of it is a little harder to understand. But, you know, campaigns are not always about math. They're about uh, <laughs> aspirations. And like you're right, you know, for, for the beginning stretch of her campaign, all roads led back to Medicaid expansion. That's still a central focus of her campaign agenda. But now she's got this other cornerstone item. You know, she's, of course, there's many, many other issues that she's talking about. But I, I'd say this teacher pay raise and expanding Medicaid, these will be the two items you hear about most in terms of her policy agenda on TV and in her campaign messaging, as well as her support for abortion rights and for new gun restrictions. Let's shift the focus now to the Republican runoffs in just in less than a week, where in the 10th district race, which is out in Northeast Georgia, Vernon's vendetta against Brian Kemp continues. I'm not going to blind and support a rhino. I'm not going to do that. That is Vernon Jones, of course, the former Democratic CEO of DeKalb County, the former Democratic state lawmaker who endorsed Trump a few years ago and switched parties about a year ago and is now running with Trump support against a lifelong Republican out in the 10th District, Mike Collins. Patricia, this struck me as a very surprising stance, maybe I can say. We all know that Vernon Jones hates Brian Kemp. He ran against him for governor until he abandoned the race. But since the governor routed David Perdue, he also won the 10th District by enormous margins and he's the most popular Republican figure in the district easily and, and really probably in the state. He even outdid Herschel Walker with his total verts. Vernon Jones better hope that Brian Kemp didn't hear that comment because he could still weigh in on this race. Um, let's just 100% assume that Brian Kemp did hear that comment. It would make it even more likely that he would weigh in on this race. Um, but I guess Vernon Jones you know, knows that we can all look back at the tape. There is something to be said for consistency. Um, However, it is not the best way to win over that huge majority of Kemp voters. And no Republican in this state is more popular right now than Brian Kemp. And that is including including Donald Trump, who is Vernon Jones' big backer. So, you know, I guess it's intellectually honest in a strange way, but it's uh, not, uh, I don't know, it's not the world's best politics in that GOP primary when every single vote is going to count. And one more thing to know about that, 
that's Brian Kemp's hometown too. That's his, that's his home district. He lives in Athens. He lives in well, the outskirts of Athens. That is where his base really resides as well. So uh, we'll see if that comes back to haunt Vernon Jones. But in, in general, this race has gotten ugly. I mean, you know, it's, it's really drowning out some of the other congressional runoffs we've, we're watching in the second district and the sixth district as well, because Mike Collins and, and Vernon Jones are trading really vicious barbs and counter barbs. And Patricia, you wrote about the, uh, the flyer that landed in mailboxes of many Republican voters out in the 10th district. Yes. I mean, man, talk about a race that is it's hard to watch. I mean, it's hard to watch. I'm sure it's uh, no picnic to be a voter in the 10th district. And it's no picnic to get your mail in the 10th district because um, I've been sent a bunch of flyers that are heading into mailboxes uh, last week in particular. The Mike Collins campaign put out a flyer accusing Vernon Jones of being an a radical anti-white racist and went into great detail, including a lot of um, uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporting from the past that detailed lawsuits and allegations against Vernon Jones. Um, there was a reverse discrimination lawsuit when Vernon Jones actually was found liable and had to pay a settlement. But to see a mailer this aggressive the art that went along with it was just incredibly dark, very aggressive. Um, but And to see it paid for directly by the campaign was surprising to me. And um, I spoke with members of that campaign and they said, look, we completely stand by this. It's all true. We stand by it. We put our name on it. We have no problem uh, saying that we're the ones who did that. It is an echo of something that was also put out in the 10th district by a super PAC that's supporting Mike Collins. And that went into allegations of rape against Vernon Jones, including a picture of a woman who was beaten and crying alongside a picture of Vernon Jones. And that in particular, um, you, you certainly don't want your kids going with you to the mailbox to pick up your mail at that point, because this is a race that really is just for depressing turnout rather than getting people out to the polls. Yeah. And a lot of the reporting that underpins these allegations actually came from our colleagues at the AJC, in particular, Alan Judd, who's written a number of stories about Vernon Jones, dating back to when he was the DeKalb CEO, where he was one of the most prominent elected officials in Metro Atlanta as a Democrat. But you're right, that rape whistle with Vernon Jones's name emblazoned upon it, that to many voters I talked to, and I was out in the 10th district earlier this week, and uh, voters would come up to me and one of them said, hey, I, I'd like to vote for Collins, but all these mailers are actually giving me pause. They're giving me second thoughts. He, you know, that, that particular voter hadn't made up his mind yet and still said he was leaning towards Collins. But there could be a backlash. You risk doing that, even though you're trying to you know, maybe suppress Vernon's turnout and maybe energize some of your your supporters. There's all sorts of different strategies that go into that, but you could end up losing some voters from that sort of stance. And we're starting to see something like that also from Shelley Winter, who is a conservative radio host on WSB, a black conservative radio host, who spoke at length about these flyers. He had gotten them. He put them up on his Facebook page and uh, said that anybody who votes for Mike Collins is a part of the problem. Something like this makes it harder for the GOP to win over new voters, win over black conservatives, and just spoke in unequivocal terms about his opinion of Mike Collins, uh, which was not positive. He's obviously a Vernon Jones supporter anyway, but this uh, led him to go on and on and on about these flyers and about Mike Collins um, and even took a big swipe at Paul Brown, who has endorsed Mike Collins and said, 
Paul Brown, I crucify you <laughs> because he uh, is so incensed over these flyers and anybody who would support the flyers or the candidate behind them. And as long as you're mentioning Shelly Winter, congratulations to him for landing a permanent gig on WSB Radio. He's a huge friend of the AJC, a huge friend of the show. And now he has a permanent time slot that he is, we know he's going to thrive there. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song and celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, along with your other host, Patricia Murphy. And we are two of the three political insiders who work toil, I should say, <laughs> nights and in mornings for the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes and the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the AJC. And look, guys, I promised earlier I'm delivering the goods we're offering the best deal of the year, exclamation mark, for a limited time. You can get six months of unlimited digital access to the AJC and the AJC e-paper for just 99 cents. Politics, investigations, breaking news. This is our pledge drive, guys. Sports, dining, all AJC newsletters, including the Jolt, for less than a dollar. It's our best offer of the year for the best journalism in Georgia. Go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast to get unlimited digital access for the next six months for just 99 cents. Subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, do you think I have a future in you know doing pledge drives for GPV? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I would also like to say that that is much cheaper than my current subscription rate. So I wonder if I need to unsubscribe and then resubscribe at our special low, low introductory rate that you've just told us about, Greg. Limited time only. Act fast now. Offer will expire soon. <laughs> Limited time only. That's our producer, Jay Black, who may or may not have written part of that, um, that promo. Um, so if you like it, you know, it's, his, it's him to credit. So look, the January 6th committee, we've, we've had its second hearing. And once again, Georgia was smack dab in the middle, as usual, as witnesses testified about Donald Trump's attempt to use the Justice Department to further his lies about election fraud. Let's hear first from Richard Donahue, a Justice Department official. I tried to again, put this in perspective and to try to put it in very clear terms to the president. And I said something to the effect of, sir, we've done dozens of investigations, hundreds of interviews. The major allegations are not supported by the evidence developed. We've looked at Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Nevada. We're doing our job. Much of the info you're getting is false. And then I went into, for instance, this thing from Michigan, this report about 68% error rate. 
Reality is it was only 0.0063% error rate, less than one in 15,000. So the president accepted that. Um, he said, okay, fine, but what about the others? And again, this gets back to the point that there were so many of these allegations that when you gave him a very direct answer on one of them, he wouldn't fight us on it, but he would move to another allegation. That was compelling testimony, Patricia, but what I was really watching was B.J. Pack. He is the former Republican state lawmaker from out in Gwinnett County. He was tapped by Donald Trump early in his presidency to be the U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Georgia, which includes Atlanta. And B.J. Pack was at the center of Trump's efforts to say that the election was corrupt and try to get the Justice Department to investigate these false claims of election lies. Let's listen to what B.J. Pack said. The FBI interviewed the individuals that are depicted in the, the videos um, purportedly were double, triple counting of the ballots and determined that uh, nothing irregular happened in the counting and the allegations made by Mr. Giuliani uh, were false. Now, th this was um, one of the first chances the public gets to hear directly from B.J. Pack before he resigned under uh, pressure from the Trump administration in early January in a huge moment. Uh, they got a ton of national attention because it was right after the Brad Raffensperger tape was released. And then BJ Pack steps down. And then, of course, we have the runoffs and the insurrection. It was a wild time in early January 2021 in Georgia. But Patricia, BJ made very clear that he found no evidence of any sort of systemic fraud during his investigations. And, you know, there was no reason to cater to Trump's falsehoods about election fraud. That BJ Pack story would have been the biggest story of the month were it not for January 6th that came up just two days later. And I thought what was amazing about these hearings was that if there was ever a narrative that uh, members of the Trump administration were only yes men to Donald Trump, this just put that to bed. These were people who were professionals. They were people who had come into the Trump administration with lots of experience. And gave the former president the information that he just didn't want to hear, but they kept giving it to him over and over again. And these were Trump's hand-picked people. This was his own attorney general, Bill Barr. It was his own campaign manager, Bill Stepien. It was his own U.S. attorney here in Georgia, B.J. Pack, and then also Rich Donahue up at the Justice Department. Every single one of them went to him and told him about Georgia specifically these allegations are not true. B.J. Pack said the FBI has investigated all of these allegations from Rudy Giuliani, that Giuliani came to Georgia and sort of dumped on that in that very bizarre Georgia State Committee hearing. And that launched an FBI investigation into that all of those allegations. And B.J. Pack went to the president and said, this is not true. What Rudy Giuliani has said is false. We have investigated it. And I've heard back from so many people inside uh, kind of Trump world at Trump campaign events and Trump supporters saying, why won't anybody investigate these things? Why won't the government look into these things? And they were investigated and they were dismissed. And the hearing also detailed 62 different lawsuits 
including many in Georgia, all of which were dismissed either for procedural problems. Uh, in one instance, Rudy Giuliani did not pay the filing fee here in Georgia or uh, just based on pure lack of evidence. Whoops. And so, <laughs> I know, among, among many problems with Rudy Giuliani's conduct. And so it just, with a lot of- Pepsi. Yes, exactly. With a lot of detail, it went in and just picked apart every Trump allegation during the campaign and its aftermath. And it was done by Trump staffers, all of whom left and left because of this. And uh, then Donald Trump at that point had only the sort of the hodgepodge of oddballs who were left around him, led by Rudy Giuliani, continuing these conspiracies and fraud lies and just pushing, pushing, pushing. And unfortunately, they also detailed the death threats that came and followed for anybody who stood up against him. And um, so all of these tweets and allegations, they had very serious consequences, not just for kind of democracy writ large, but, the, but for these people who stood up for the rule of law and stood up against Trump and and then had their own families threatened publicly and seriously as a result. You know, one of the trends that came out of the first two days of hearings is that, A, a lot of his closest advisors were telling Trump not to believe the election fraud lies that were pushed upon him by the um, the hodgepodge of offals, in your word. And of course, he went along with the hodgepodge of offals. And secondly, even some of those people knew that these were lies, and yet we're still pushing them. Even the people who were, you know, the, the leading whispers to Donald Trump about election fraud conspiracies knew that they were false. One of the standout moments of that second hearing was when Bill Barr brought up the, the movie 2000 Mules, which is so focused on Georgia, and it's full of false claims of lies about ballot harvesting in Georgia. And he kind of just laughed about it and said, these were, you know, we had to look at it. You know, it could be compelling evidence. It could be something we, we, we sniffed around, essentially, but could find nothing. You know, that entire movie was based on the premise that people who could be truck drivers who just happen to be driving by multiple poll places because it's Metro Atlanta and folks drive around a lot. That doesn't necessarily mean they're ballot harvesters. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're, um, <laughs> they're trying to defraud the vote. And so Bill Barr, Trump's you know, top attorney, even said that uh, went out of his way to say what a joke that movie was and what a joke some of these allegations were. He, he said all sorts of phrases. He said, um, crazy bullshit nonsense, impossible to believe. I mean, he, he's been the star witness so far uh, in my book. Well, he's been very forthright and um, has not been editing himself, which I always appreciate. But even though he called 2000 Mules bullshit and said it was a joke, it is not a joke to Trump supporters. And when David Perdue conceded his race for governor, there was a woman in the audience as he was talking. They, these people in the audience were very disappointed that David Perdue was throwing in the towel against Brian Kemp after he'd been put up to it, put up to that run by Donald Trump over false allegations of election fraud. And so he said, listen, we fought the good fight. We've lost this race. And a woman yelled, 2,000 mules. And, you know, in all of these events I went to for David Perdue and for some of these kind of more fringe right wing characters and candidates in Georgia, like a month ago, I said that we, I, I'm still trying to get to the bottom of what is making you think this, that that this election, the last election was stolen. There, And every person said, have you seen 2,000 mules? You know, that this is something that has gained um, this weird cult status on the far fringe right. And there are movie screenings that candidates are holding and they are building social events around 
2,000 mules. And so it has taken hold of a portion of the electorate. Georgia has become this incredible exception to the rule that these were discredited and pushed back by GOP voters in GOP primaries. But it continues to fuel this far right, in many cases, angry and in other limited uh, but scary cases, very dangerous situation where people are uh, very worried that this is going to happen again in 2024. You know, Patricia, at least once every couple, three or four days, I get an email from someone saying, we'd like to offer you a free screening of 2,000 mules just for you. Um, you know, I'll pay it if, you, if you'll see it. And I'm good. Uh, <laughs> but maybe we can have a live podcast as we watch it, give commentary, um, much like maybe uh, I'm dating myself beavers and butthead or something. Um, but... Now I've got a segue to the end. Well, how do I do that from Beavis and Butthead? <laughs> Speaking of buttheads, <laughs> you can count on... <laughs> I have nothing to add there. Continue. Uh, okay, okay. Um, look, you can count on new episodes of this podcast, though, even if we're not streaming um, 2,000 Mules and giving live commentary, to come out every Wednesday, Friday, or really whenever major news breaks. So we will see you next time on Political Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.